You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It is a Tuesday night in the year 2021. My expectations for the listening and comprehension capabilities of the average sports fan are perhaps still too high. Because as I <laughs> commented and discussed Draymond Green's comments post game yesterday on multiple television shows on our ESPN airwaves today, I inevitably got responses from those who missed most of what I said in order to cherry-pick something small and argue against it. Now, I shouldn't be surprised at this point. This is the life of a gas-bagging radio and TV talk show uh, personality. But it's still frustrating because I think in order to advance the conversations we're always having about player empowerment, especially in the NBA, it's important to be able to get into the gray areas and the fine lines. And we're going to do that here. And I... I, I ask you, I demand of you that you actually listen and comprehend what we're saying instead of lashing out with anger to tiny little words that you react to. But I might be expecting too much on a Tuesday in 2021. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And if you haven't guessed yet, I've been talking about Draymond Green all day, and a lot of the responses don't seem to have listened to me. But in case you haven't heard why we're talking Draymond, after the Warriors win... Last night, he responded to looking across the way to Andre Drummond in street clothes sitting on the bench because the team had elected to say, our future will not involve Drummond. We are going to trade him, and we want to make sure he stays healthy before that trade. So he's not going to be a part of the Cavs on the court, but merely a part on the sidelines, which caused Draymond Green to say this. To watch Andre Drummond before the game sit on the sideline then go to the back and then come out in street clothes because a team is going to trade him is bull****. Because when James Harden asked for a trade and no one's going to fight back that James was dogging it his last days in Houston. But he was castrated for one to go to a different team and everybody destroyed that man. And yet a team can come out and say, oh, we want to trade a guy. And then that guy is to go sit. And if he doesn't stay professional, then he's a cancer and he's not good in someone's locker room. And he's the issue because as a player, you're the worst person in the world when you want a different situation. But a team can say they're trading you and that man is to stay in shape. He is to stay professional. And if not, his career is on the line. At some point, this league has to protect the players from embarrassment like that. Anthony Davis got fined, I think, $100,000 or something like that for demanding a trade publicly. But you can say Andre Drummond's getting traded publicly and we're looking to trade him publicly and he's to stay professional and just deal with it. But then when Kyrie Irving say, oh, my mental health is off, everybody go crazy about that too. Do you not think that affects someone mentally? At some point, the players must be respected in these situations and it's ridiculous and I'm sick of seeing it. Y'all have a great night. I'll see y'all tomorrow or Wednesday. There was also a little bit in there that we didn't include where he said, you know, we oftentimes will see a young player and, and if they're struggling, we'll say he hasn't figured it out. We never say organizations haven't figured it out. Um, that part I, I have some issue with because there are certainly organizations that we criticize for not being able to properly use the talent that they have. Maybe not as much with the young guys, but uh, what did you make of the rest of what he had to say, Fitz? Uh, it, it surprised me, honestly, Sarah, only because I missed the chapter where there's a player empowerment issue in the NBA. I mean, 
frankly, players get to say when they want to go, where they want to go, and it, it happens all the time. Teams, when's the last time a player got stuck where they were and a team didn't eventually bend to whatever that player wants? So he says the NBA needs to step in and fix something, but I would say fix what? I mean, uh, realistically, as much as, sure, people may have talked about James Harden, the conversation was as much about the system and the fact that you can build a team around Harden and then have Harden decide he doesn't want to be there anymore as it was about anything else. I, I mean, uh, it, to me, it seems absolutely dis- ingenuous to say that there's a problem with the league that frankly lets players do what they want when they want how they want it well i think part of the problem is is he's speaking to multiple places right he's saying the league needs to fix this problem but he's also really addressing fans and media who are being critical um first of all i think he meant that harden got castigated not castrated although some would argue that it was a similar sort of feeling for him although i don't uh, know cast- what castigated means but i know what the <laughs> other one means and i thought i knew right. exactly what he was saying so um, and, and the answer when you if he meant to say castrated, which means to deprive of power, that's not what happened because James Harden was able to empower his way out of the Rockets by virtue of his actions and his demands. Castigated is to reprimand. Uh, right to, to, to perhaps uh, criticize someone for not setting a good example. That would make more sense there. Either way, um, the Harden example to me was a bad one for him to use because despite the fact that he was criticized, he was criticized in part for the details of that, which was he had essentially dictated the, the, the way that that team took shape and the choices that they made for years, signed a four-year deal after a year was already wishing his way out and demanding his way out. So how do you expect a team to build around a player if they can't count on a signed contract as being the proof that they will be around in order to make those decisions around them? Every teammate that signed there signed believing James Harden would be there, made a decision based on those contracts that were already in play. So that's really difficult. I'm all for player empowerment in the abstract, but there are certain situations where I understand that it was not beneficial to a league for players to get past a certain point wherein at any moment they can decide they want to change and they can't be criticized for it, and they must be acquiesced to, which is where we are with superstar talent. If they want out, they will find their way out. Now, I understand his point. Protecting players from the embarrassment of what's happening to Drummond, right? He's, he's having a great season. He's just not the player that they want there. So instead of getting able to continue playing, which is something he wants to do, he's relegated to street clothes on the bench where it's embarrassing for him as he watches the team try to shop him. And I don't know if they are publicly saying that or if that's what happens when you sit a healthy player. We're going to assume that it's a trade, right? I mean, so I don't know if Draymond's point that they are allowed to say we're looking to trade him is valid here because I don't know if they're actually saying that publicly or if we're just reading into the fact that he's sitting. Because you've got another example in Blake Griffin who does want to sit until he's traded because of his injury history. He does want to stay healthy in order to get somewhere where he can compete and be a part of veteran leadership. So that's why I think every situation is different. Blake wants to sit. Andre wants to play. Harden wanted out. Anthony Davis was certainly fined and criticized, but not in the way Harden was because that situation was different. Kevin Garnett wants out, and almost everybody said, yeah, you should get out of Minnesota. You've given them your best. you got to go somewhere where you have a real shot. I just think that the paintbrush painting all of this is a little behind in terms of the advancements we've seen with player empowerment and also fails to recognize the danger of building a league and building teams if contracts mean nothing. 
Well, the other side of it is contracts in the NBA are fully guaranteed. So if I owned a yep. team and I knew that I was going to be trading a player, I would sit them in a heartbeat. It has nothing to do with the player's feelings and everything to do with the investment that's made in the player. The minute there's an injury, you're now on the hook for it. And in fact, there's precedent in this in the NFL side. I mean, I remember when Steve McNair, a legend for the Titans at the time, was locked out of the offseason workouts because they knew he was getting traded and they wanted nothing to do with having to pay any guarantees against injury. There's precedent across sports for that. So an owner looking out for an owner has to be acceptable in some way just in the NBA just as players look out for players like uh, to me the NBA is the most wild wild west I'm going to look out for me league in all of sports and the problem I have here is the dream, uh, dream uh, the Draymond's coming in saying at some level that there's this wrong perception about players without acknowledging that you know there this this works both ways I mean players constantly get the benefit of the doubt we look at Bradley Beal and say hey no problem you should go anywhere else where your talents can actually be exercised because they are wasting you at Washington, and that's an acceptable logic. I mean, he's sitting here saying that we should be more balanced when he himself is not balanced in how he's looking at player empowerment and teams' rights in the entire conversation. The NBA has nothing to fix at this point because they've created this Wild West atmosphere, and players have no problem getting what they want, when they want, how they want it. So a player having to sit a few games doesn't seem to me to be any more drastic, and for anyone that says teams always get their way, I'd ask what Houston really got out of getting rid of James Harden, because they didn't get what they wanted short term for sure so at the end of the day the players are going to look out for the players the owners going to look out for the owners and unless everybody wants to kumbaya at the table to find reasonable solutions in the middle I don't think either side has any room to complain I just want to quickly add in there because of those guaranteed dollars if you're a player who vastly underperforms the contract you're still getting paid right you still get all that money even if you didn't end up holding up your end of the bargain, which is why it's hard to argue quite so much in the NBA when compared to, say, the NFL. And I would also say if you want the security and the, and, and this, and the solidity of a long-term deal where you get all those years of dollars guaranteed no matter how your play or injury affects it, then you also can't ask out right away if it's not going exactly the way you want it. If you really want freedom, then do one plus one plus one like LeBron did year after year. I get that he's LeBron and it's special. But if you've earned the ability to do that, then do that instead of signing a four-year deal and then trying to get out a year in. It's really complicated because I want to be for player empowerment, but I also understand the difficulty for the team side. The Tuesday Roundup is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Coming up a little more NBA as we hear some pretty powerful voices talking about the NBA All-Star Game. More concerns raised today. We'll get into that. ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz, Harris Vane, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Guest join us on the Goodyear Hotline. It's time for a little straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. That player empowerment conversation we just had is one that's going to go on for a long time. And I just want to reiterate that I do think that for the most part, corporate values and and priorities are usually the thing that we that we err on the side of as opposed to individuals and so I value most of what Draymond said I only pick apart the other things because I think it's easy to just say I'm for player empowerment and ignore the nitty-gritty and so uh, the nitty-gritty is where I find the interesting um, but but I look forward to my menchies blowing up all the same from those who didn't listen very closely. I, I will say quickly, Sarah. I know we we have other things to talk about. Now we're both going off here. But if you're gonna if you're gonna at Sarah at me too, uh, you know, like I don't understand why we can have the same conversations. And I look at your menchies afterwards, and everybody's destroying you. And like, you yeah, know, just I got one check or two Ian Fitzsimmons oh, menchies, God, yeah, that and that's is, probably where they are. That's that probably is, where most where I most owe him of yours are. A lot are. of drinks. I mean, a lot of drinks. <laughs> 
Uh, he's just Fitz. Just Fitz. And the other one is Fitz Simmons. They're different people. And I'm sure there's some Fitzgeralds in there, too, that you're accidentally you're adding. opposed to my takes, in which case, yeah. like Send him to Ian. I'm Ian. Send him to Ian. <laughs> uh, speaking of Menchies, I'm sure the mayor of Atlanta is getting uh, a bit of, uh, of responses to what she had to say today. Keisha Lance Bottoms uh, came out and, and just tried to say the best she could Stay the hell out of Atlanta for the NBA All-Star Game. And it's a wise decision from her because while it feels like this is an immovable decision and that the NBA has decided to press on even with the voices of LeBron and Giannis and plenty of others uh, questioning the need for an NBA All-Star Game in this season, uh, she said the very best she can, at least from what appears to be her her power and her abilities. I don't know what kind of uh, ability she might have to fully criticize any who might hold a party or a club or a bar who might try to sneak past. Maybe she could, you know, bring down the hammer with extra fines. But she pointed out there are, there are, you know, no parties. There are no NBA sanctioned event. This is an N a TV event only made for TV. Do not travel here. Do not come here. Do not add to the COVID mess that already exists in Atlanta, where many are saying people have not taken COVID seriously already. Uh, she told this to NBC 11 Alive's Shanae Her. Um, I, I get it, Fitz. Like, this this would be so incredibly frustrating because the expectation is people are going to show up and try to party because that's what an NBA All-Star weekend is. Uh, that's part of the difficulty in the decision to have it in the first place. And, you know, look, there is so little benefit for Atlanta. I actually feel bad for Atlanta in this situation yeah. as a city because usually the reason you want these All-Star games and you make – uh, every you sort of bend to what the leagues want to, to host them is so that you can have the parties and you can have the atmosphere and you can have the advertising and you can have the big social moments. Atlanta's not going to get any of that. Like Atlanta has so little benefit in hosting the All-Star game that they're looking at it saying now at this point as a city, if we're not going to have the tremendous financial benefit, then we don't want to have the collateral damage that could come with it anyway. And that's one of the dangers in this process. We've talked a lot about why there shouldn't be an All-Star game, but the fact that Atlanta is telling you not to come to Atlanta to celebrate <laughs> it is all the more reason that the, the, the entire decision feels asinine to me. There are some extremely strict protocols for the players, which I very much am in favor of. And uh, even for players who aren't participating in the All-Star game, not allowed to leave the country, expectations for days that they need to be back for testing, etc. This could implode on the league, and they are aware of that. And that is why the restrictions are so tight. It's also why they probably shouldn't be doing it, but we all know that money is the reason. Their partnership with TNT, massive dollars brought in. Um, but you're right. It is unfortunate that all the benefits, and that's what she said, under normal circumstances, extremely grateful to host this. Um, but unfortunately, most of the benefits are not there. And the fear is that people will show up anyway, looking for ways to be affiliated and adjacent to the event and make money off of it. And those promoters and clubs and bars and folks uh, could make a terrible situation even worse. Uh, so something certainly to keep an eye on. It doesn't feel like it's going anywhere fits. They're going to have the game. It's just a matter of just how much control they could keep over their players and anybody associated with the league over the course of that weekend. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Be sure to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can sometimes get pre-show and after-show parties that you can only get digitally. And, of course, any content that you miss from shows, uh, you can find it Apple iTunes, the podcast app, or the ESPN app. Um, another thing I saw today uh, that I found a little bit interesting, Joe Buck, who... It's a fantastic interview and an interesting cat. And a lot of people don't like him, Fitz, for all the usual reasons, especially 
national game callers get accused of homerism or hating people's teams pretty much every time. Uh, but he's done some, some told some great stories in the past. One of the famous ones on the Lebetard show was uh, taking a weed gummy in Mexico, thinking this didn't do anything. I'll take another. <laughs> Immediately get smacked in the face with the vibes. Uh, either falls off a dock or almost falls off a dock. Is clinging for his life. Terribly paranoid that everyone will see and videos will hit the internet of him high out of his mind. Um, and it was a very amusing story. Uh, he is once again coming through with the good stuff. He was on Colin Coward's new podcast and talked about how he drinks on the job during postseason baseball and NFL. He said it's in moderation, but he'll have a glass of bourbon in the booth. In baseball, he'll get the biggest beer they sell. And it just kind of takes the edge off and reminds you to chill and that you're, you're calling a sporting event. Uh, something you could do maybe before this show fits? Just chill a little bit? or Yeah, no. no. Uh, and you know, It's funny, though, Sarah, because... As everybody knows, I spent years on the road as a musician and uh, not particularly when I was with the band Perry because they were mostly dry organization for most of my time on tour. Before then, especially like when I was out with Phil Vassar, man, like we were drinking. Like there's no two ways about it. We were drinking, having a good time doing these shows. The amount of times that I would look back and say like, I was so smashed. I could barely stand up and I'd still play in front of huge audiences like on TV. We're all just tanked. We're having a good time. And now I'm like, oh, I can't imagine having a glass of wine before a show. Like I, I could never do that. Like I'm so worried that I'll say something stupid or I'll get my uh, more more stupid than usual or get my tongue tied more than usual if I've had anything to drink. It's funny that I just sort of avoid it like the plague until after we are done with our show. I never partake before the show, but I, I, that was never the rule in music for sure. I think that makes sense because I do think that, and I don't know, I've never been a professional musician, but I believe there's a lot of muscle memory there in playing the same songs. And there's a sort of freedom attached to the work being done that should be pretty close to perfect, but a missed note here or there won't tank the whole operation. This job, there is a preciseness of words, which we do not always honor on this show. We are very often aiming and just miss for the word we're looking for. But there's a lot of places to slip up. And there is no muscle memory because we're always talking about different things every single day and trying to formulate thoughts. So it's a much tougher place, I think, to have some drinks. I will say that back when we hosted a show, or maybe this was Izzy in Spain, it started at like 8 p.m. Central, I think. And so occasionally a happy hour may have been visited before. And yeah, it just made my takes a little I hotter. Got the glory of that late of a, <laughs> a little know, no, no, no. feistier. Uh, this <laughs> this time slot is not is not good for that. I saved the booze for afterwards. But we want to hear your stories at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz. Do you have a good, funny, unfortunate, whatever story about drinking during or before work? This was Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, a former NFL quarterback joins us uh, to share why he had such powerful words for the NFL in a video he posted last night. It's next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Be sure to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can get some great exclusive content out there. Plus, you can catch anything that you missed. Obviously, uh, one of the bigger, uh, heavier stories uh, around sports over the last few days, former NFL wide receiver Vincent Jackson was found dead Monday in a Florida hotel room, according to the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. 
the body was found at approximately 1130 a.m. Monday. Uh, we don't know the cause of death at this point, but uh, it has caused great reaction. And one of the people that reacted to it strongly is going to join us now on the Goodyear Hotline. Ryan uh, Lee, former NFL quarterback, joins us there. Ryan, obviously you had some passionate words on Twitter yesterday that really hit your heart regarding the NFL's compassion or lack thereof for former players. Let's start with the obvious. Why did you feel the need to speak out about it? Well, it wasn't today. It was last night. It was, uh, it was when I heard the news. And uh, I don't know why it hit me so hard uh, this time. This happens all the time now, it seems. Um, but, I, I, you know, he was alone in a hotel dying. And, uh, and I, I, I was there, too. I had been in an isolated place in a hotel and, and was dying when I was around that age. And uh, so I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I was hyperbolic. Of course, it's not the NFL's fault or the NFLPA's fault. I just was, I was feeling my feelings. And I think for the longest time, me as a person didn't do that and certainly didn't do that publicly. I feel like I have a responsibility now. You don't, this isn't an Instagram world. You just don't show when stuff's going great. Look how great everything is. You know, it's like real life. And uh, these are, these are my brothers. Um, And I didn't believe that for a long time because I didn't think I was, good enough to be considered their brothers because I was such a failed NFL football player, but it just hit me really hard. And I, I just expressed myself in probably too much of an emotional way, but today I can see things clearer and, and now it's about solution based, right? It's, it's about working with the NFL PA and the NFL. So something like this never happens again. Right. I don't think there's any reason to apologize for the emotion there. And I think it's necessary. And part of the issue is that the people most deeply affected by whether it's CTE or substance abuse or any other lingering effects of their time with the league are probably going to be less in a position to be able to fight them because of whatever state uh, they're in. And so those who are thriving, those who had great success, those who maybe aren't suffering need to be at the forefront of this. It certainly sounded like um, your appeal came on behalf of those who had had great struggles do you feel like um, there's enough empathy from either players that are currently in it, looking at the guys that came before them, or maybe even former players that aren't suffering, uh, to really see that that could very easily be them and want to reach out and help push for changes? Yeah, I think you know the collective bargaining agreement is done by the the current players, and 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 when I was a current player, and I'm sure every current player now, they see um, themselves never being in that position. Um, this may be a really um, shot across the bow type of scenario because he's only he was only 38 years old. And hey, we don't know we don't know what what transpired and everything like that. But we we we've seen this enough where we can kind of start to do the math. And and your point to the empathetic part of it, I don't think I was ever empathetic. I never put myself in the shoes of somebody else. And that's what that's what ultimately overcame me last night is that. I could see myself in that place all alone. And even if I had resources at my hand, at, at my fingertips, um, I felt like I was alone and there has to be a better way to make everybody feel part of something uh, and understand their importance after they've been stripped of what they thought their identity and their importance was. And that's a, a huge part of the transition when you play in the NFL or, or any sport for that matter, how you, how you deal with things in a healthy, positive way. 
We're talking to Ryan Lee, former NFL quarterback and Sirius XM NFL analyst, college football analyst. Ryan, brother, one of the things that I've always respected about you is the fact that you wear your emotion on your sleeve at this point in life. And you referenced it. You, you hit rock bottom. Everybody knows that. So what would have reached you when you were at your lowest? Well, I certainly, I would have loved my brothers. I would have loved that fellowship, right? Because at my lowest, I was, I just thought of myself as this failure, as this bust. And I didn't think I belonged like as part of the, the NFL brotherhood, because I, you know, I was unsuccessful or successful in the eyes of what expectations were for others. So if, the legends community that's been started by the NFL, uh, I think is a great first step. It's run by Tracy Perlman, who's like the head of their marketing division. So I still feel like it's a marketing ploy that really doesn't have a ton of backing and a ton of substance. Uh, With the amount of money that's there, there could be actually really, really well-funded things such as uh, players only facilities, you know, because players feel and, and deal with the stigma all the time of, of it being weakness or they don't want anybody else to know that they're going through this. So anonymity could be a huge part of it. And if there's these players only facilities where you can go in with, with fellow brothers who, who were, you know, the second pick in the draft as well, you know, and have some peer on peer type of things. I think that could be really, really helpful. And they're, they're every bit uh, capable of, of putting that together. You know, whether the players choose to utilize those things, of course, it's, it's entirely up to them because you can't want it for somebody. But if you want them to feel valued and feel like somebody's listening, I think that's a that's a tremendous first step. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Ryan Lee, former NFL quarterback. This is hard to sort of articulate, but I wonder if it just feels for the NFL like it's impossible to recognize and admit accountability for what happens to many players after their time while simultaneously still arguing and holding up the product as one that should be celebrated and used for entertainment. If you get what I'm saying, like is the distance that they keep from those who struggle after playing in part, because if they were to fully acknowledge their awareness of CTE or anything else that comes after, um, it would be harder to argue to the general public that we should all be watching and enjoying this, knowing the damage it might do. Yes, completely. And I understand that, right? I mean, football gave me everything. So I, 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 it's not this thing where I'm, you know, if, if, I, if they knew something, if they knew something and just didn't tell us, that's another issue. But Which is I what they used to do. Understand but yeah, we've, we've, we've moved yeah. past that era to a new one where they mostly yeah. tell you what they know. And I feel like, you know, I knew it was a violent sport. You know, I didn't have my head buried in the sand. But I also would... For, for doing that and understanding that I'm probably living with CTE, I think like a majority of us are, and because I hit rock bottom in a different way and have had to address some issues, I think it's really kind of helped save my life. Where there are others that, that, that may not have those same problems who were, were more successful, and I look at my former teammate in Junior Seau and the, the cry for help um, before he ultimately took his life. Um, you know, and then I, then I just... I. I have a ton of survivor's guilt and it's silly to think that way, but you know, I just, sometimes I feel like somebody like him and the impact he could have with his story is much greater than mine. Cause he was such a success. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's mental health. It's a complete mental health breakdown is what it is. And I think it was, I just felt, I felt compelled to, to, to say something last night and, 
and I don't know how I quite feel about it, but I know my brothers reached out. Lewis Riddick reached out. Uh, a ton of my other brothers who have been going through some issues lately. So it it started a conversation with some of us, um, and that that alone makes it worthwhile. Ryan, as much as you're around the college aspect of the game at this point, do you think the kids now that are playing that are rising into the NFL have a better understanding than your generation did, per se, as to some of these mental issues and some of the things that they may be dealing with post-playing career? I think so. I mean, I think you would you would be um, – it would be remiss if they didn't. They're very smart. Now, hey, some some utilize their talents uh, to get the, their, them and their family out of, out of poverty and things like that, and I understand that completely. Some are still – uh, very entitled, and uh, and it's not necessarily uh, a reason for them to move forward. But they also love playing the game, and they understand what it what it does. I I will always say this, and you guys you guys do sports talk radio. I do sports talk radio. I really do believe that sports brings us together to then have open and open and honest conversation. I really do. I think sports brings us together. I just don't like the the shadows that money creates in all this and there's nothing you can do about it it's a capitalist society it's it, money's going to be there but what it does is it casts shadows on everything that happens when things like this occur yeah and and, and i think what's important ryan and we're talking to ryan leaf here on spain and fitz former nfl quarterback who spoke out after uh, vincent jackson's recent death at the age of 38 uh, unknown causes as of now he was found dead in a hotel room on monday um i, I think one of the one of the issues is of course um, understanding that because you choose to do this thing that you both love and benefit from doesn't remove the opportunity for there to be humanity in the dealing of you both in the sport and afterwards. And I think that's kind of the black and white we've made it out to be. If you choose to play knowing the risks, then you remove from from everybody, the league and the fans, any sense of empathy for what you suffer from. And I think that's a, an idea and something that we need to move past if we're going to have more honest conversations about um, how we, how we do this better. So appreciate you making the video and, and speaking out about it, Ryan. And I, Hey, and Sarah, I, I agree. Like I have, like when I got out of prison, it was all about me taking a look in the mirror and going, okay, Ryan, you're here because of what you did. Nobody else. And so I, I live a life like that. Um, but I, I, I just, I can't stand by and other, other former players and current players, you just can't stand by and, and watch, uh, young you know, healthy uh, men who, who gave their life for this type of stuff just, just disappear on us. And, and there'd be an out, outpouring of love for a couple of days, and then we're, it's, it's just on to the next thing, the next news cycle. So uh, I appreciate you having me on, um, and, and I appreciate both your guys' friendship, uh, especially with my time at ESPN, and now I, I really do. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you, my friend. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. We're brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Sarah, you know, there, there's so much NFL talk going on right now, and J.J. Watt is a part of it. I was a little surprised, I'll be admit it, uh, I will admit it. 
I saw it earlier on Sports. Did you start drinking because of earlier? Yeah. Did you want to no, see what would happen? You know, here's the thing. There, there's like ceiling work being done in my house. There's weird fumes. Uh, I may or may distractions. not. By the okay. end of this whole thing, like <laughs> I'm smelling so many things. I didn't even smell on tour buses. I have no idea what's coming out of my mouth now. All right. Um, so J.J. Watt, according to uh, SportsCenter earlier, John Robinson, the GM of the Titans, said that uh, he's had at least some preliminary talks with J.J. Watt, which surprises me because J.J. Watt, in my mind, when the Texans decided to release him and give him a chance to get ahead of everything, getting out on the market, I just presumed that there'd be some uh, handshake agreement behind the scenes that says, hey, we'll do right by you. We'll get you out of here. Make sure that you're happy. But in return for that, don't go anywhere within the division so we don't have to face you. So I'm surprised to see that there's been any conversation with the Titans at all. Yeah, I guess the question is really whether or not J.J. needed to do the Texans any favors on his way out. Like, was it a requirement in order for him to be given the choice of where to go to do that? Um, maybe. And you might still be right about that. Um, I just wonder if the, the bonds were so broken and the Texans so needed to avoid another PR scandal that it was better to look like they were doing the right thing by J.J. than to trade him, send him somewhere that's a dump and have to face more criticism for the way their team is spiraling. Um I do find some of the teams surprising that we've heard in the mix, including the Browns. A report from uh, Mary Kay Cabot of Cleveland.com, who's covered that team for a long time, said he's seriously considering them. They've got the cap space to make a deal that he thinks would be um, fair. And and you remember, of course, he gave up over $17 to leave the Texans and be released, uh, that he would have been guaranteed by them and paid by them. Um, And then, like the success they've had under Kevin Stefanski, uh, we've also, of course, heard the Steelers, where his brothers play, the Packers, where he grew up in Wisconsin, also the Titans and Bills in the mix. Um, so uh, I think there's a lot of speculation because we were all so blindly hit with this news. None of us expected, even with the Texans being as dysfunctional as they are, that J.J. Watt would be out. So we haven't done a lot of digging or heard much from him about where he might go. Heard much from him, I think, is a really important point here, too, because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, why the Browns? Why would he want to compete with his brothers But for the division championship every year? But maybe he does. Like, we haven't heard from Maybe JB that's yet, fun so. for them. That sounds like something that would be fun for the Watts. Well, fun <laughs> for me is the Wentz watch, as I'm now calling it. The Windy City Wentz watch. I'm going with all no, the W's. No, I'm getting unnecessary. It's, it's at least fun to keep an eye on, because every time I hear speculation, I think he is, Sarah, and... I heard something today that surprised me. This was from Get Up this morning. And, you know, I love Marcus Spears so much that I bought the big Swagoo hoodie. Like, wow. I bought swag from Swagoo. Are you allowed to wear that if you are not, in fact, a big Swagoo yourself? Yeah, I think so. It gives me a little bit of, like, swag. <laughs> like, that's what I need. It so, helps. It gives you, know, you that b- bump you it, need. It, but it's important <laughs> to qualify since he can, you know, kill me with his pinky toe. That I, I, <laughs> I love the guy. He may not always be right, though. And today he said something that surprised me when Greeny asked him on Get Up up specifically if the bears know that uh, Wentz is infatuated with the Colts and that's only where he wants to go should that prohibit Chicago from trying to trade for him this is what Marcus said in response to that it should it should because we saw what transpired in Philly when he wanted to get out when he when the perception was I want to leave what has transpired for Carson Wentz since 2017 up until this point I don't think Carson Wentz does well with pressure outside of the game. His maturation hasn't got to that point yet. Hmm. So, Sarah, should it deter Chicago from trading for him? Uh, listen, it's hard to 
separate my desire for them not to pursue him regardless of the context <laughs> from my opinion on this matter, but I will try. Yes, it should deter them because I think in an average situation where a player is incapable of controlling where he ends up in a trade because the team has all the power there, then you presume that they will get sent somewhere and make the best of it because their career and their future relies on them playing well so that maybe they can get out of there and go elsewhere the next time they have a chance uh, or just based on pride and and how short these careers are. Uh, But in this case, I think the context is very important. And the fact that whatever the Eagles tried to do in recent weeks to appease him because of the financial strain of keeping him didn't work. They got rid of the coach that apparently he couldn't come to terms with, right? They made uh, a coaching hire that everyone presumed was to appease him. Someone with ties to Frank Reich and a history of, of succeeding with him didn't matter, right? So if he is this adamant and this stubborn about getting out of there, no matter what they're doing, then to send him somewhere he doesn't want to be when he's already a guy who has shown to be, as Marcus Spears said, perhaps incapable of dealing with outside influences. It severely affects his play beyond lack of weapons and offensive line help, which he would struggle with the offensive line here in Chicago as well. Um, What product are you then getting? This is already a guy who is barely an upgrade. It shouldn't be that way. He used to have a very high upside, but now feels like barely an upgrade from what you already have with the Bears, and you're going to add him and he's going to be disgruntled and not want to be here? No, thank you. They should absolutely consider it. I think, you know, realistically, if we're looking at Carson Wentz and saying, hey, he's not the answer, then no, you you know, it's a factor. But to me, if they believe, if they've looked at the film and they believe that Carson Wentz can help them win and he is the right guy, I don't care what the outside factors are because he doesn't have any clause in his contract that prevents a trade. you got to believe that you bring him to your organization, whoever it would be. I mean, is, is uh, angry as Deshaun Watson is right now, and he may come out and say, I don't want to play for this specific team. If that specific can. team has right. a chance to get him, then you want, you want to have that opportunity. You're right, he can because of the no-trade contract but, or clause in his contract. But I look at Carson Wentz and say, hey, if I'm in the Bears organization and I think he's the guy, I don't care where he wants to go. I'm going to bank that I can bring him in. I can show him our culture is better, that we'll support him better, that he's going to have better opportunity to win, that he'll fall in love with playing around guys like Khalil Mack, and that all of a sudden he'll fall in love with the lore of being a bear. I mean, i got to believe in my culture above all things if I think he's the right guy. So, no, where he wants to go wouldn't deter me at all. I'm going to believe that I can sell him on staying in the time that I have with him. Gosh, I guess that's the difference between men and women, right? We have like a very accurate idea of what we have to offer and maybe even undersell ourselves sometimes. And men apply for jobs for which they're not qualified and are overly confident in their ability to make You're someone love wrong, them. You're not wrong, but I've got, as many, I've got as many female friends in my life that walk into a bar that should not be trying to talk to the supermodel that still do. Like, I think we're all blind to our own power and all of this. Like, I know. agree. I just, I feel like... I, normally I would not say it. I would say go after the person you want and do exactly what you just said. But I feel like from what we've seen already from Wentz, and particularly because he's not great, then it's a very different conversation than trying to lure Deshaun Watson. Well, I'm trademarking Windy City Wentz now. I'm making t-shirts. No. Coming up, no. Major League Baseball spring training's on the horizon. We'll talk about the efforts to make the game safer next. Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It is sort of hard to believe, especially with like 20 plus inches of snow outside my door, but baseball is almost here. Pitchers and catchers getting set to report spring training games on the docket, ready to start as promised, and a season with a lot of question marks on the horizon. Uh, Our guest about to join us wants to help 
uh, fix some of the question marks around safety for people who attend those games. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline is Jordan Scop, the founder of Foul Ball Safety Now. You can read more about that at foulballsafetynow.com. Uh, on the front lines of trying to increase the netting at ballparks, both spring training and regular season across the league. Jordan, thanks for the time. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jason. How you guys doing? Good, thanks. Um, I'm curious right. what inspired you to want to get into this uh, movement. And uh, was it a personal issue for you or just something that you observed and said somebody needs to take the lead? Yeah, I mean, just over the years, going to games and seeing close calls and had an experience in Brooklyn with a bunch of people. Actually, the ball flew outside the stadium. It was the minor league uh, ballpark where the Cyclones play in Brooklyn. And no notice when the ball came out and it hit a young man that we were with in the forearm. And I was like, that's weird. There's no system in place. If the balls go behind first base, they're going to break a window in the parking lot. If the balls go behind home plate, possibly break a head on the street uh, or worse. And uh, so, yeah, that was one of my beginning exposures to that. And then one time I had a really great seat in 2006 where I paid a lot of money for a playoff seat, uh, Mets Cardinals, and I was a few seats away from Jerry Seinfeld. And at the time, the dugouts did not have netting. And I was very nervous being in like a few rows from the field uh, and realizing that, you know, we were definitely in the bullseye. And uh, fortunately, the Nets have gone up beyond uh, at uh, behind the dugout. But um, most minor league fields, what I'm hearing, and certainly in spring training, 16 out of the 30 stadiums in Arizona and Florida do not have extended netting beyond the end of the dugout. So why is that the case in your mind, Jordan? Why is that the case? That's really interesting. I really don't know why that's the case. I don't know why they allow you know kids and families to come to these ballparks where they know the percentages it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when in in major league baseball in 2019 when we had fans in the 26 and a half week season 16 15 people had head injuries in in the 26 and a half week season and that's every other week so and that was the last time we had a full season of fans into games and every other week somebody's having a head injury at the major league level um, I don't know why that is. And in spring training, I surveyed before we all shut down last year about this time. I called 30 box offices in Arizona and Florida, and they were very friendly. And they told me that only, you know, my score, she told me that 16 out of the 30 home teams, some of the teams do share ballparks in Florida and Arizona, but 16 out of 30 of the host home teams did not have extended netting beyond the dugout. And where are people getting maimed? Beyond the end of the dugout. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're talking to Jordan Scop, the founder of Foul Ball Safety. Now, this is something I've talked about on this show before. I've sort of pulled people in our listeners, and I find that the response from those who don't believe in extended netting is simplistic and and occasionally ignorant, right? They don't know the extent of the injuries or the number of cases, but they also are dead set on arguing that the game experience is ruined by the netting. And as someone who's sat behind, uh, you know, in the good seats, as you would say, a couple times, you very quickly forget about the netting to the point where you look like a moron on television when a a ball gets fouled off in your direction and you flinch as if there isn't a giant net protecting you, right? I mean, that's the clearest proof that we need that people very quickly fail to notice and remember that there's netting there. 
Have you heard any other responses besides that one, which is all I've ever heard to conclude that we shouldn't extend it, is that it changes the fan experience behind those seats? You know, unfortunately, I think um, the owners and management have something to do with that. They say uh, a lot of people call them and they say their fans aren't interested in having netting. But, you know, uh, 50 years ago, unfortunately, it was a young man who died at Dodger Stadium in 1970. And I believe at that time, that was, that was probably the time to start being transparent with the fans, letting them know that we need to level with all our loyal season ticket holders and let them know that close calls are happening quite too often where you know, where it's becoming a big problem and and for the years that have gone on since 1970 you know we have documented you know incidences after incidences of of terrible things that have happened also unfortunately a woman died at the dodger game uh behind home plate uh, uh mrs goldblum she died in the low section and that's Another conversation, should there be nets that go vertically behind home plate? You know, and the Dodgers took a year and they have, they raised the net, whether an independent netting council came in uh, and said, you know what, you're good to go. Nobody will be maimed here anymore. I believe an independent netting council is needed at all the major league ballparks and certainly all the minor league ballparks. No 80, 90, 100 mile an hour balls should be reaching people in a split second. You know, about the lazy pop up, that's one thing. But people are not getting creamed in Japan and Korea. They just are all about out front uh, respect for their fans when it comes to nets and also communications. They even have like team attendants that are blowing whistles when balls are flying at people. Maybe maybe they're not in the extreme hot zones that the balls are reaching them, but they're in the medium to low zones, if you will. But nobody's getting smashed in the face in split seconds like these horrible incidents that we've all witnessed. And um, and it just has to end. And I believe an independent netting council is needed. And, um, you know, I hope, uh, I hope you know, there's, a, there's an outcry and people say, hey, you know, I think families are going to have also an epiphany realizing they were sitting ducks all those years. Like if they had free tickets or corporate seats uh, once or twice a year, they'll realize that somebody in equivalent to the same section at that, that ballpark, another ballpark, uh, got named the day or a week after or before. They're going to be like, whoa, you mean that could have been us? Yes, it could have been you. How do you feel now? Oh, man, I feel pissed. I mean, I hope that's what people do arrive because I don't believe baseball has been really transparent. We're talking to Jordan Scott, the founder of Foul Ball Safety Now on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Jordan, Sarah and I are both big hockey fans, and I remember when the nettings went up in the early 2000s in the NHL, and there was a little bit of resistance for a few seconds, and everybody got used to it. Has there been, that you know of, any communication between the NHL and Major League Baseball on how their process worked and why they did it? I mean, what kind of conversation has happened league to league? Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, I, I am putting together a book. I'm actually with the editors. Hopefully when the book comes out, I'll be able to share it with you. I don't have a book title as of yet, but it's with the editors. With, with And I did write a few pages about that. Um, you know, to the NHL credit, yes, they did get the job done, but it did take, unfortunately, somebody seriously hurt, died, a young lady at the uh, Columbus Blue Jacket game. Um, but Gary Bettman was commissioner for nine years, and, and he knew the close calls on a regular basis. Uh, unfortunately, and, and I can't give them that much credit, even though they did get it done pretty soon after, it was nine years. I think his, his, his idea 
I think first and foremost when he came in was to, to make NHL a lot of money. Not to say that they didn't do a good job of getting the Nets up after the young lady had passed, after she got hit with the puck. But, you know, in the minor leagues and hockey, there were, there were close calls, and there's no regulations or mandates. And uh, I'm glad the NHL did what they did, but I do believe that mandates and regulations are long needed to be uh, implemented in MLB. They have this baseball rule, which I'm sure you guys have been exposed to on the back of the ticket where it says they're not responsible, but I got, no, I was agreeing with you. Yeah, they have that on there, but um, at at some point there's certainly arguments to be made that, that those who um, feel responsible, whether that's players or teams owe something to to families of, of those who are seriously injured um, and those stories need to get out more. I think that's part of it, too, as well. Uh, Jordan, thank you so much for the time. Foulballsafetynow.com is where people can get more information. There is an option on that website there uh, to out to, uh, for outreach to the league to make your voice heard as well. Thanks for the time, Jordan. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jordan. And Fitz, you know, I'm looking at the site, and, and one of the things I notice on this map um, is uh, that someone lost an eye due to a foul ball at Wrigley. That's not something I've ever heard, right? So there's so many times that you sort of see it quickly on a show or you hear about it and then it goes away. And the details, as sad and unfortunate as they might be, are kind of what's necessary, I think, to turn the tide for those who are still reticent to make a change. Uh, Jordan brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear more driven. Coming up. Lots of things to get to, so it's time for some quickies. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, with you on a Tuesday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sometimes we have digital-only content you can get there, so subscribe via the iTunes app, the podcast app, or the ESPN app. On especially busy days and days where we have topics uh, that take us away from some of the stuff we want to get to, we pack them all together real quick into a segment we call Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Let's start with the Australian Open. couple things there. First of all, I did not stay up till 3 in the morning, so I was very relieved to wake up and find that Serena Williams had won her match and is still in the running to get that record-tying 24th. Naomi Osaka also winning, which sets us up with quite a matchup, Fitz. There will be no fans in attendance, which is something that I'd missed in not having watched for the last couple days. The Australian Open, which looked to us like a beacon of what can happen if your country does things right. Well, spectators removed uh, after the beginning of the tournament. Um, They will return once a certain COVID-19 lockdown ends in Melbourne. But for now, uh, we'll just be us watching tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern as these two ladies match up. What stands out to you about the matchup? Yeah, well, number one, by the way, you said you weren't up until 3 a.m. That's not that far past your usual bedtime. It isn't. So, it is uh, not. Uh, you know, I should have stayed up. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just going to say I'm a little surprised. No, but this is everything that's right with women's tennis right now, right? Like, it feels like we, as much as in society, we are constantly having the Jordan versus LeBron debate. Like, we are getting the opportunity to see the GOAT and the future GOAT, we hope, in women's tennis take each other on consistently. Like, this is this is an amazing moment for the sport, and it's everything that we hope we can see. Also, I will also say this. As much as you said, to your point, Australia seemed to be doing things right. That's why we could look at it as a beacon of light. I think it's also a beacon of light when you can look at it and say, hey, a small outbreak was reason enough for mm-hmm. them to put everything back at pause. So uh, kudos to everybody involved in this. And by the way, a reminder that women's tennis right now, this might be the era that it, you want to be able to tell your kids you watch. These matchups are incredible, and history will remember them. 
active tally of 25 cases uh, that has caused the current <laughs> shutdown. They do hope sorry. to be back. I'm sorry to laugh. I know it's not, it's appropriate just, to not laugh. funny it's just... that there's any, but yeah, 25 cases means the shutdown. But it, there actually is a possibility there might be some fans in for what's technically Thursday in Australia, which will be this match. So maybe there will be some fans in the stands. Interesting stat here. Of course, Serena Williams, there's expected to be some nerves on Osaka's part facing her when she's in pursuit of this great thing. Naomi Osaka, 10-0 and 0 if she reaches the quarterfinals of a major, meaning every time she's gotten to the quarterfinals of a major, she has gone on to win it. And she is 2-1 and one against Serena head-to-head. So certainly uh, a match we would like to see in the finals instead of right now. Uh, and a match between two National Women's Soccer League team owners, Angel City versus NC Courage. So you love to see that. Who, uh, who moving you, on. Quick, who are you rooting for in it? Uh, Serena. I, okay, that, there's there's a lot of future with uh, with Naomi Osaka, and she could be great. Um, she already is great, but uh, I want Serena to tie and beat that record, and there's only so many tournaments left for her because of her age in the tennis world. Yeah, and I think the more of these matchups she wins against Naomi, the more it only cements the later conversation that will be had 15 years from now. Yeah, it's so, like yeah. a Brady-Mahomes kind of thing happening yep. if you 100%. want to give Osaka that, that potential future greatness. All right, next story. Quickies. Yeah. Uh, this is an interesting one. We haven't heard a ton about it. At least I haven't as far as going national. But Celtic star Jason Tatum said he is still dealing with after effects of COVID-19 more than a month after he first tested positive. Said it messes with your breathing a little bit. Has some games where he got fatigued a lot quicker than normal from running up and down the court. Got out of breath. Got tired faster. Noticed that since he got covid better since the first game he returned, but still deals with it from time to time. And as we're talking about the necessity or lack thereof of the All-Star game, as we're continuing to try to understand sports going ahead with schedules outside of a bubble situation, and we're getting more and more used to hearing stuff like, oh, five players on the Spurs have, have uh, COVID, so they're going to they're gonna hold off for a stretch before they resume games. I think we take it a little too lightly, considering the lingering effects that we still know for so many very healthy people. That's why it's, I think it's important for Jason Tatum to speak about this because not just for healthy people everywhere, but for athletes everywhere that are putting themselves at risk, the more openness they can all have about the processes they're going through and the lingering effects, even if it's only a handful, which is what so many people will say against it. Well, this is one guy. It's important that athletes hear this so that they mm-hmm. can make the best and most informed decision about what they want to do with their future. So, you know, I, I think these, these stories need a lot of coverage because it, it factors into the conversations and the decisions that are being made every single game, every single day by players. Asia Durr, a WNBA player on uh, HBO Real Sports, told a very sad story about right now, nearly eight months after her COVID-19 diagnosis, unable to even shoot some free throws. Can't dribble, can't hold a basketball, uh, gets extremely tired, headaches, feeling of fog, um, and that is uh, making her wonder if she'll ever play again. And we got to take that seriously. Hmm. Uh, let's move on to the next story. Quickies. Uh, let's stick with the NBA. Interesting to hear James Harden say that last night's victory was the vision of what this team wanted to be. This is what the Nets' vision was. Okay, they hit 27 three-pointers. That's great. Kevin Durant wasn't playing. They gave up 120-plus points. And this just makes me think, what do you mean by this was the vision right here, top to bottom? You, Your defense still wasn't strong, and you cannot count on succeeding by virtue of 27 three-pointers. We've seen this happen in the past with the Rockets. You forget how to basketball, you have a cold shooting hand, and you don't have a way to succeed outside of their efforts from the outside. It, to me, it just seems odd. 
one word would have made a much more honest quote. Instead of this is the vision, this is my vision. Because this feels like <laughs> what Harden would love to have in this yeah. every single time. I don't blame him. Like, this works for him. You don't have to play any defense. You get to shoot from the outside. You're not using a ton of your motor. You can do what you want to do when you do how you do it. Like, I get all of the things that make it great for Harden. But let's be clear. Any vision that the Nets have starts and ends with Kevin Durant. Yeah. So uh, whatever he's saying is the, division, is the vision without Durant on the floor is not the vision, it's his vision. Well, it might help, too, that he had a fifth triple-double. 29 points, 13 rebounds, 14 assists. Already the most 20-point triple-doubles in franchise history. Uh, probably feeling pretty good after that one, regardless of how the rest of the team looked. It's Spain and Fitz. We're doing quickies. Last story. Quickies. Yeah, this one very quickly. Uh, we saw last night the Sixers fall despite a Herculean effort from Ben Simmons. 42 points. And it has me wondering yet again, Fitz, as much as they're trying to get the Embiid-Simmons things to work out, when you see Simmons succeed like that, in part because that paint is open, there is no big body, he's essentially playing the center position, getting almost no paint points outside the paint, you have to wonder if he'd be better off serving as a de facto center somewhere else instead of somewhere with a big man that clogs the lane. And that's not an yeah, insult well- to Embiid, it's just a would this be better separately. And that's the question that's going to have to be. There's been so many reasons why they could say they didn't know the answer to that. But at some point, when you see this, it only continues to say it over and over again. Both of these guys have so much trade value right now. The organization needs to figure out exactly what they're trying to accomplish. And if they really believe that the two of them together gives them the best shot at an NBA title. If not, you've got to make the decision sooner than later on who you're going to move and why so that you can actually move towards the goal, which is not just to be relevant in the East, but to actually, I don't know, win it. They've been doing a good job thus far this season, but there's a part of me that looks at that and goes, ooh, maybe maybe would like to mm-hmm. see that jump shooter around Embiid and see Simmons go somewhere where he can really thrive. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Coming up, we're going to bring in a former Dookie to weigh in on Jalen Johnson's opt-out after a folks are calling the Duke freshman a quitter. It's next on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast where you can get all sorts of awesome stuff. You don't, uh, you get some extra stuff. You don't even get on the radio. You can only get there. Plus, you get to catch up on anything you missed. We're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline now uh, to talk to one of our favorites, ESPN College Basketball Analyst Jay Billis. By the way, you can obviously watch Jay every week on game day. And uh, shameless plug, you can check me out hosting Countdown to Game Day digitally every week uh, on Saturday mornings right before that. So wherever you get your ESPN uh, social, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, the ESPN app, uh, I'm out there getting you ready for Jay. And then Jay takes over all the heavy lifting from there. He's joining us now to break down the big news of today as all eyes have been on Duke and uh, the opt-out that none of us saw coming. So Jalen Johnson has decided that he's going to opt out of Duke. And, Jay, it's, it's gotten some big responses from a lot of people. So let's, uh, let's start there. What was your response when you heard that he's opting out? I was a little surprised, Jason, that, uh, that he had opted out. Um, I was actually just about to go on the air uh, last night doing the Virginia-Florida State game when I got the word and, and called to confirm it. And found out it was true. Um, you know, I, I was, I felt initially like, man, this is odd. Uh, because you don't see that in basketball very much. But given the fact that, that we're going through this unprecedented pandemic situation and Duke is not headed toward the NCAA tournament, he's had an up and down experience. And, and I think he and his family 
were very concerned about his draft status. Um, that, that's where this whole thing stems from. It's, it's the NBA draft and, and would continuing to play and maybe not playing uh, to his capabilities hurt his, uh, hurt his draft status. Um, I, I think that's where this is, this is uh, what this is all about, really. Yeah, I mean, it, you could look at it one of two ways, right, Jay? Either he's worried that his play and the injury and everything going on with his situation at Duke will take away draft status, will, 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 will hinder his ability to get chosen highly. But there's also an aspect of league's uh, representatives looking at him and, and, and looking at him dropping out of IMG and now Duke and, and questioning whether that, that promise is not as sparkling as it once was. What do you think is more likely here, that he's preserving that germ and everyone will think they can build off of what they've seen or that he's potentially doing further damage by creating this story around himself? Sir, I think it's both. I think you, you, you nailed exactly the, the dynamic here. I think for he and his family, they're looking at it as this is the best thing for his draft status. Uh, but what I, I, what I believe that they've, they've overlooked or maybe have not considered uh, as they should have is how this is going to make him look to NBA teams, that they are going to question, why did you quit? And they're going to look at it as quitting, um, you know, opting out, quitting, whatever. That's the way a lot of people are looking at this. Um, you know, but it, there's a lot of value judgments that go with that that I'm not particularly fond of uh, because, you know, it, it's funny when, when, when the structure says, hey, it's my way or the highway, they seem surprised when somebody takes the highway <laughs> and he took the highway. <laughs> um, but but, but uh, I do think it's going to raise some questions uh, on a competitive level. Uh, about him and and he's going to have to as long as he's comfortable answering those questions somebody's going to draft him there's no question about that there's going to be a there's going to be a a position in this draft where a team's going to go you know what i don't care whether he opted out or what his high school situation was his talent level's worth it here um uh, but it may not be as high up as as he wanted and it may not be as high up as as was expected um before he went to college in the first place we're talking to ESPN college basketball analyst Jay Billis. So, uh, Jay, d- have you gotten any sense on if Duke was having a better year if the same decision is made? Oh, I, I'm I'm almost certain that if Duke were having a better year, this wouldn't this would not have happened. Uh, if they were headed toward a, the tournament, if uh, if Jalen Johnson were having a better year himself, you know, he had some injury issues where he was out for a period of time. Uh, then when he came back, um, I happened to believe I was doing the game when they lost at Miami. And, uh, and that's when this started for him, when, when he seemed shaken after that game. And, you know, he had some, some good moments. But, but, you know, there were a lot of people in my job that were saying, hey, you know, Duke, Duke may, they've been better when he's been out of the game. And, and it happened on Saturday when they beat NC State. It was the best performance as a team they've had in about a month um, or, or, you know, three weeks when they beat, you know, Clemson and Georgia tech. And, uh, and so, so it's kind of funny, like immediately there've been a lot of people jumping on, on Johnson and his family saying he quit, he quit. Um, You know, look what he's doing to the team. He's walking out on his team and you're going, wait a minute. You just said they're better off without him. So, so did he, did he do him a favor or what? Like, is he walking out (laughs) on him? It's all these things. Like you guys know better than I do that the, the ethos of sports is 
you know, everything for the team and you don't, you don't quit on your, your, your brothers and all, you know, the locker room is sacred and all these things. Um, I think that I still believe that's true. Uh, and, and I feel that way, but I don't expect everybody to, and especially it, like, I do think the pandemic enters into this a little bit, um, you know, living in isolation, all that stuff. Um, you know, you're, it, it's, it may be a little bit harder to reason with people when the parents aren't there. Um, they're, they're, they're having to deal with their, their son's emotions and, um, and they're dealing with the coaches and all that from remote. They're not there, uh, at the games, like they're not allowed into the games. Um, so, so that, I think that's a factor as well. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN radio. We're talking to Jay Billis, ESPN's college basketball analyst about the news of Jalen Johnson, freshman at Duke opting out uh, with six games remaining in what's been a tough season for Duke. And to your point about people saying he's quitting, there's a part of me as a former athlete and as a former team sport athlete that totally gets that, right? I can't imagine uh, leaving my team near the end of a season regardless, but the system is broken, right? If you benefit yourself personally by leaving the team that you're on, um, because of the way the system is set up, it's it's a bit different than reacting to a professional player making similar decisions. And I also think the people arguing that he's quitting aren't saying so necessarily because of feeling of loyalty to that team, but more so they don't want this pattern repeated. And I've heard people argue this is going to be like bowl games where players opt out of March Madness, and wouldn't that be terrible? Well, yeah, it'd be terrible for us because we want to watch the best players, and it'd be terrible for March Madness because it makes them tons of money. But guess who it's not terrible for? The players who don't need it and then don't get hurt and limit their ability to make money. In some way, it might expose just how messed up the system is, right? Yeah, I think there is some of that. And I do think a lot of the commentary that's coming out of this is based out of fear that they don't want to see this spread and this idea take hold where other – you know, it's funny, we, we, we don't mind if a player uh, foregoes college altogether, goes into the G League. We, we're actually encouraging that because, you know, one and done for so many people offends their sensibilities and, and their value judgments. Uh, but if, if a player opts out that, that wasn't going to be headed toward the NCAA tournament anyway, that it's something we need to, we need to rail on and get upset about. Um, I don't know the right answer here, um, but I, I do know – that that you know on one hand when we're saying uh hey when the players want money when they want to be paid right now when they want their nil and all that we're we're saying hey they're not they're not worth what they think they are the values in the name on the front of the jersey people go to these games because of the name on the front of the jersey well then how's it going to be affected by jalen johnson not playing like so so why why would duke fans be bothered by that they're cheering for the jersey and there's just one less player in the jersey so that shouldn't be a problem for them Jay, as always, we appreciate your expertise and your insight, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out with us and talking about it. Uh, stay safe, brother. Thanks, Jay. And, Sarah, you're still an athlete. Who are you kidding? You said you're a former <laughs> athlete. You're, you're washed still up, an washed athlete. Washed up. Doing my best. <laughs> That's a phrase no one's ever said to me in history, Jay. Yeah, so I well, appreciate it. You, you know, know. <laughs> We're not liars around here. Oh, it's, that is fair. Oh, talented musician. Yeah, that's fair. Brought to you by Wendy's, proud sponsor of the 2021 John R. Wooden Men's and Women's Player of the Year. Coming up, uh, there's obviously a a lot of conversation about Jalen Johnson, but there's one take that I think is absolutely wrong. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It fits on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more 
at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Sarah, a lot of conversation about Jalen Johnson deciding that he's going to opt out and now prepare for the NBA draft. This is always difficult because fandom gets in the way, and that's just real. I understand it, that if you're a Duke fan, if you're a college basketball fan, it offends, as I think Jay Billis said earlier, it offends your sensibility to think this. Uh, but at some point, the, the concept that he's quit on anybody, to me, seems failed because specifically Coach K has said so many times this year that they shouldn't even be playing college basketball. So if Duke came in, as they did last year, remember, Duke pulled out of the tournament before the tournament was actually canceled. They said, nope, we're not going to partake this year. Thank you. Uh, if Duke had done that, are they quitting on those student-athletes? No, they're, in fact, in, in the minds of most, protecting their student-athletes. Well, at some point, there's a, a, an agreement, essentially, to me, between college athletes and the colleges they attend. that They're preparing for the next chapter in their life, just like every other college student. So it's a mutually beneficial agreement. When it is no longer mutually beneficial, you leave. Kids leave college all the time. And I understand it's sports, and that means that it's held to a different standard. But I also sort of don't understand it, because the whole point of college is to go out there and get ready to do your thing professionally. And as long as he's preparing himself for that, how am I going to fault him? Yeah, I mean, Fitz, in the past, I've certainly said I get how frustrating it would be to be a coach who makes decisions based on the belief that you're going to have X players every season. And I don't think it's quite the same as just an injury. That's an unfortunate and unpreventable occurrence that then you react and adjust to. This is a choice someone makes to abandon, some would argue, the team and the coach and the program. But if the system is going to be as unfair as it is, and the only leverage or option a player has is to remove himself from the system in his own best interests, then you've set yourself up for this decision. If, if you are going to continue to exploit unpaid labor for your own profit at the risk of them not being able to then monetize their own talent at the next level because of injury or otherwise, then they have to make decisions that are best for them. And that's often not going to be in line with what's best for the team or the NCAA by the very nature of the program, that the system that they've set up. Um, so, I, you, listen, you could be sad for his teammates and for him and for the program that he didn't see it through. And you can certainly, it is absolutely fair if he makes this decision for NBA teams who are deciding whether to draft him to take it into account along with him leaving IMG Academy, along with him not finishing uh, um, a season since his junior year in high school. Those things can come into account. You can accurately make a decision with the best information you've got. Um, but the people who are calling him a quitter or the people who are worried about what this means for the future are worried because of the amount of money, ESPN included, right, that, that is made by college basketball and college sports, um, not because they truly are considering the best interests of the player. And I realize there's a substantial difference between being in season and being out of season. But I'll go back to UCF uh, coach Josh Heupel, who waited. Uh, you know, he didn't get offered the job at Tennessee until after uh, recruiting had ended. It was after the season. But he recruited a bunch of kids to go to UCF, and then he abandoned everybody and went to Tennessee, which is fine because it's a better college football gig for him. So everybody said, hey, that's awesome. That's a great opportunity. He didn't Apparently, he didn't quit on those kids that were then obligated to go to that school and can't have by – by virtue of the system, don't have a way to follow him where he's going. Like, it's just, it's funny to me how arbitrary we are on the concept of quitting and what it means, because realistically, especially for most college sports fans, it is about the logo that's on the chest. It means everything to college sports fans. That, that, that university is life. But for the kids that are going there and for the coaches that are working there, 
It's not about life. It's about business. And, and seeing that core difference is going to be key if we ever want to have an understanding on why people do what they do. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We asked you guys on social media. We're having a little fun uh, in honor of Joe Buck, uh, sort of letting the world know that, you know, every once in a while during the college or during college, yeah, during Major League Baseball playoff games, he'd have a, a you know, cold one, maybe a little take off the nerves. We've asked you guys to chip in with some of your stories of uh, when you've been maybe a little inebriated at work uh, when things have gone awry. Uh, we've got some great responses. The, what is this? The Aimer Cat says, I used to get hammered on the regular before going to PM server shift at ESPN Zone in LA. <laughs> Ride the subway to work and I was able to handle obnoxiously cheap and rude Dodgers and Lakers fans. And then also said, played an away tennis match in college and won 6061, including the last game non-dominant hand. I drank an extra large Slurpee from 7-Eleven mixed with vodka on the van ride there. Man, that opposing team was bad, which is probably why I did it. I got nothing but respect for all of that. I mean, the fact that she used her non-dominant hand is such a flex. What an insult to the... I wonder if the opponent realized, wait a minute. I am not left-handed. Oh, well, I would <laughs> hope because, like, I think the only way you do that is, you know, the grunt every time you hit a forehand of shot. Of course. Like, I want, instead of the grunt, I want it to be, I'm drunk! I'm drunk! Every right. time, just yeah. announce it to him. Just and, of course, know. very obviously switching hands just to make them feel terrible <laughs> about themselves. Uh, at WSA, Kalox did a shot of whiskey before taking the stage for my degree vocal music recital. Yikes, that's, that's just, risky. That's uh, also, whiskey, so, bad for the vocal cords. That's tough. Th- that's what everybody drinks in country. You drink a little shot of whiskey, it clears Okay, but it up. country is very different. Depends on what I guess it depends on what kind of vocals, right? Because as someone who used to sing classical, I would not have recommended whiskey for the vocal cords. Whereas you add a little grit to it in the country, and that adds to the flavor. Yeah, maybe that's true. You know, a little the whiskey. Clarity of it is the matter. If you want you know. hot orange juice with a little whiskey in it, it tastes disgusting, mm. but it will open your vocal cords right okay. up. Okay, all right, I can see that. Don't uh, at looking for vinyl ATX. Okay. Uh, drunk? No, but once I took some of my old roommate's homemade stew to work for lunch, he failed to tell me he added weed. I figured it out of myself about 30 to 45 minutes after I ate lunch. Yes, I went home early. Uh, I wish we had more stories, but a lot of them were either depressing or slightly terrifying fits because people have made some bad decisions. I, uh, I have a bad decision that I made. Um, I, uh, right after college, before I moved to LA, I needed to save up some money for the move. So I worked a regular job um, at actually a sports production company. This was years before I even decided to get into sports. It was just a connection that I had made. And on Friday and Saturday nights, I worked at a bar called The Hunt Club on Russian Division in Chicago. Uh, well, a block away from Russian Division. It's one of the bars in Chicago that's open till 5 a.m. on weekends. Okay, So I would start at 10 p.m. and work till 5 a.m. And I... I nicely called myself the door whore, which was a word for personally the, the person who stands out and takes a cover charge and welcomes people in and tells people, oh, you can't smoke inside or, you know, yada, yada. We have a dress code. You need to do X or Y. And so I would stand there from 10 p.m. to usually four in the morning when they would let me go. And the second night, my boss, who said that he was a Miami football player who had won a national championship. And only years later did we discover that he bought the ring on eBay and was lying the whole time, was not, in fact, at all affiliated with the school or the team. This giant, giant guy uh, challenged me to see if I had a good tolerance. Now, I'm fresh out of college. I think I can absolutely handle it. But I'm also fresh out of college and trying to stay in shape after leaving track. And I was so worried I was going to gain weight that I was usually running seven to eight miles a day plus 25 minutes of weights, plus another 25 minutes of cool down. 
and eating like a, a, a salad. So I show up after this huge workout, eat a salad, and he starts handing me sifter glasses of tequila. So not a shot, but like basically three shots worth and cheers at me. And I'm telling you, this guy's at least 300 plus pounds and I am me. So instead of being like, this is a terrible idea or I think you win, I just kept taking them. And the end of the story is that I went to the bathroom where I threw up a lot while I was technically working. I left my purse there. He walked me home because I lived about three blocks away. I somehow in my head was worried about my boss being in my apartment. So I told him I didn't have a bedroom because I didn't want him in the bedroom with me. So I woke up on the couch, still in my outfit, some vomit, no purse, wanting to die, needing food, and then having to walk back there to get my purse so that I could get food. And uh, that was the last time I decided to try to fight a 300-plus pound man in a shot-for-shot competition. And also, conveniently, one of the last times I drank tequila. The next time I tried, I also threw up inside a bar under a pool table in Mexico, and that was the end of that. That is spectacular. Spain and Fitz, uh, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So I mentioned earlier we used to drink a lot on the Phil Vassar uh, tour. Uh, there was a time we were playing Joe's on Weed Street in Chicago, which is nice. a, yeah. one of the everybody plays. I love it. And uh, we were playing back-to-back nights. And I remember Phil's band leader was a guy named J-Dog, uh, Jeff Smith. And J-Dog called all of us before soundcheck. And he said, if you're not drunk by soundcheck, you're all fired. Well, he was joking. We weren't. So we just started <laughs> lining up shots. It's the most drunk I think I've ever been in a show. I don't remember most of the show. But Phil was livid. Like, Phil was not pleased that we were so drunk we couldn't function. So he, we got lashed at, right? So the next night we play, we didn't drink a, a, a drop. We were dry as a bone the next night. Ed Worm, that runs Joe's on Weed Street, came up to us after the show, me and a couple of the guys, and he was like, man, y'all were terrible tonight. You're much better when you're drunk. So it just shows you sometimes it pays, I guess. You got to find the balance. You got to find the right balance. (laughs) Freddie and Fitzsimmons will find the balance, and I'm pretty sure they won't be drunk. They're coming up next uh, on ESPN Radio. Thanks for hanging out. (laughs) Have a good and safe night. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.